find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to uh, Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm stumbling here because I'm, I'm still so upset. I had the worst Valentine's Day ever yesterday. Uh, not because of any personal relationship with a lover that's gone sour. No, it's it's a relationship with the world, or at least the world of gamers. Uh, does anyone know what um, Amazon blogging is? Well, I didn't either until a couple of days ago or a few days ago. Uh, and and I'll, I'll tie this into Valentine's Day. Today the show is called Valentine's Day Analysis. What the world needs now is love. Not only do we need love of the personal, uh, intimate kind, but we need more love in the world of each other. Um, you know, I, I've been noticing, and I wonder if you have too. Uh, first of all, this has been sort of a very, very um, sort of downplayed, shall we say, Valentine's Day, kind of like you know Christmas and and the other holidays. I think the mood of this country has just been getting so uh, disheartened or angry or sad or, you know, all kinds of uh, not-such-good things for the most part, or at least some of the people in in, in our country, and it's kind of spreading um, because people are being meaner to each other. And I'll, I'll explain how that related to me, but in general, think about it. Um, and I'll ask my guest, who is Ken Varan. I'll introduce him in a minute. He is um, a great guest. He's coming on again to talk about more of his bad girls. I met Ken about a year and a half ago or so, um, uh, on the phone anyway. <laughs> We've become uh, fast friends on, on uh, through the Internet and phone. Um, Ken was one of the 100-plus men who I interviewed for my book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. And he's a standout. He's a standout for not only because he's a great guy, but because he had um, one of the most bad girls. That I, I, I don't know, Ken. Um, you had three. I think there were one or two other people who had three, but but that was definitely you were definitely on the top of the list. And we talked about um, Ken's one of Ken's first bad girl, actually chronologically. Um, the last time he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. The story was Curiosity Killed the Cat, and that was about the husband-stealer type of bad girl who he was with. And we're going to talk about two more today. But before we do, and I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but you'll understand why, 
Um, getting back to Amazon bombing, um, I, as as some of you know, if you've been listening to the shows where I've talked about this in the past, it does come up every once in a while. Um, I was a big um, anti-media violence activist. We're talking really big. Um, not only was I, I did I do protests outside of movie theaters and and. Um, I was the head of the National Coalition on Television Violence. I testified before Congress four times. Um, I wrote a chapter to um, to um, Larry King's book, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. My chapter was about violent video games. And my crowning achievement that I'm most proud of is that I stopped the Schwarzenegger rocket. This was in 93, and uh, there was a NASA rocket that was going to go up with an ad for the well, it was they auctioned off the outside of the rocket, and it was bought by Columbia and Sony to advertise the last action hero, Schwarzenegger's movie that was coming out at the time. And so they bought it, and I read that in the L.A. Times one morning, and I, cu- I couldn't believe it. I thought like I was living in a different universe. They're going to, what, put an ad on the side of a rocket, and what? The first ad, thank God, it was the only ad that they tried to do so far. But anyway, um, the first ad for for a violent movie so I went nuts, and I devoted my life for the next three or four months, three and a half to four and a half months, something like that, doing every television show, radio show, print interview, live events that I could do, giving out the contact information for the president and the NASA hotline and Columbia and Schwarzenegger's publicist. And um, in this approximately four months of work, I managed to get the rocket stopped which wasn't necessarily what I was trying to do. I was just trying to get the ad off. But the private industries that were on the rocket that were sending up things to do experiments, uh, because I had gotten such bad publicity for this idea of putting a violent movie ad on the outside, they backed off. And so there was not enough money to actually send the rocket up. And uh, it was really hard work. I, I'm, you know, but I, that's how dedicated I was and am to this idea that violence, violent media is the, is a drug. Um, and as the, there have been studies for decades and decades by researchers, you know, all, most, all, in this country, all over this country and in other countries, different kinds of research. I mean, they've looked at it 50 different ways, and the only studies that um, have come up showing that there isn't this effect have been studies that have been funded by in the industry that is behind either the television or movies or video games, particularly. So, so then I stopped. I got involved in other things. You know, I wrote my book Bad Boys in '97, and then I have from then I started getting involved in terrorism from 9/11 and so on. And and now then my book Bad Girls just came out. So, and I kept saying, I have to get back to this. I have to get back to this. I want to get back to to telling people about how violent media affects people. And, um, well, I sort of wound up getting back to it um, in spite of myself just this past week when I happened to get a query from a writer um, uh, from foxnews.net asking about this new this new video game, Bulletstorm, and video games in general. And I know this stuff in my sleep um, about the impact of, of how violent media uh, in general, and particularly violent and sexual um, media combined, which this particular game had, but, but not just, I'm not just picking on this new game. Um, there are lots of, of violent media that, that combine sex and violence because they keep pushing the envelope 
And so it does have the effect to desensitize people uh, to uh, sexual violence and violence in general and to make them more likely, the more cumulatively, the more they consume, the more likely they are to become aggressive, including such, such acts as rape. And, um, I mean, to me, this was like, duh, you know, I thought we proved this years ago. And, in fact, when Columbine came along um, and they, they did polls of what people thought caused Columbine, caused the two shooters to do it, me, media violence was pretty high on the list. And I thought, yay, great. And I guess that's part of why I, I stopped being as active in it as I was. Um, I thought everyone got the message. Well, wrong. <laughs> um, so, to make a long story short, I got quoted in this article, and I have been under Amazon bombing attack since then. Interestingly, my book had five-star reviews, great reviews, up until the 8th, February 8th, when this article came out on the Internet. And all the video gamers who don't like the idea, you know, who don't want to believe that there could be anything wrong with uh, playing video games, have, <laughs> have proven my point that video games make you more violent by, in fact, sending me the most incredibly profane, I mean, <laughs> video games don't make you violent, um, asterisk, asterisk. I mean, the things that they said were just um, like, you should die, but I'm, I'm leaving out the profanities. I mean, they were just outrageous. But I, I can take that because, I mean, it, it was pretty personal when it comes in your email box, but I mean, over the years that I was a media violence activist, I've had to deal with a general disagreements, you know, sometimes very vociferous disagreements. But the idea that they would then go to Amazon and put these one-star reviews where they obviously hadn't read the book, and they obviously, some of them used words from the Fox News um, uh, Internet um, Fox News Net website, you know, that was in the story that that I was originally quoted in. Of course, then bloggers and other websites kept repeating the story and so on. And then I finally put together, um, when I was able to find the time to, this weekend, to put together samples of studies and sent it out to all these people who had been sending these nasty emails. And of course, you know, just like the cigarette manufacturers, they you can send them a gazillion studies and they'll find something to say. Oh no, we don't believe that. Well, anyway, that's the, the to make, I, I was trying to make a long story short, maybe, and, and so the bottom line is that now, um, just before I got on the air, there were 150 um, one-star, <laughs> unbelievably negative, violent reviews, um, and, and uh, so I, I'm going to ask you, tell you about this at the end of the show again, just to ask you to please Go on Amazon. I'm not asking anyone to write anything about the book if they haven't read it, but um, you'll hear some of it today. You'll hear some of uh, some, you know, um, from Ken and from myself. Some of the material that's in the book. If you feel that you can write about that, but I would appreciate it. Any um, reviews that you can give and anything that you can talk about that you know that these these gamers wrote these one-star reviews, I would be incredibly, greatly appreciated. So now we'll go on. So, so that explains why it was the worst Valentine's Day for me in my life, to think that there's that much hatred and meanness in the world. My book has, uh, has nothing bad girls. <laughs> it's not bad girls video gamers. It's bad girls why men love them and how good girls can learn their secrets. It has nothing to do with video games or violent media. And um, the purpose of it was to help men and women, in fact, it says in the dedication, to help men and women find the love they deserve. And believe me, 
we, it's obvious that uh, more men and women do need to find the love they deserve, so we don't have people hacking out their frustrations by doing Amazon bombing. All right, now let's get to Ken. <laughs> oh, Ken, <laughs> I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm happy to have you back on first of all and um and we'll get into your stories and it's it's really great you're 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 one of the people who is heartening as opposed to disheartening we the world needs more people like you because you know you have shared such um in the book and now on the on the second radio show you are sharing such intimate details and I know that your heart is in the right place to help people um, the men to be warned of the kinds of bad girls that you uh, <laughs> that you were entrapped by, and um, and to understand why they might be attracted to bad girls, and of course the women um, to understand what some of the things are that women do that do um, attract men and keep men. And of course, I'm not trying to turn good girls into bad girls, but I'm trying to uh, to even the playing field so that good girls have a chance. Uh, to attract the men and to keep the men just like the bad girls do. So, Ken, welcome to the show, and I know we're going to have the music going. I can't believe I talked that long, but I know we're going to have the music uh, coming on soon. So why don't we just, just <laughs> welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about, last time we talked about the, the um, husband stealer. Today we're going to be talking about the sex siren and the bad girl scorned. And I want you to know, uh, in the, in, I've done some book signings at Barnes and Noble and asked people what type of bad girl, which of the twelve, the dozen dangerous damsels they want to hear about. And whenever they want to hear about the sex siren, which is quite often, um, I read your story that people just are really, really, um, enjoy. And of course, have, you know, of course the ending, where they understand why you got trapped by the sex siren is very poignant. So say something, <laughs> so I know you're there. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, if you were here, I would give you a big hug. Oh, and I would appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you had a rough, you had a rough Valentine's, and and there's no way to ever take this kind of stuff easily um, with with my book, which is fortunately doing very well. I had all <clears throat> five star ratings for those people who are not familiar with how Amazon works. And then one day, a one-star rating showed up, and it was so negative and so nasty that anybody who read it would have gone, now wait a minute. It, all these other people couldn't have loved this book, and this one person have hated this book that badly. I mean, it's, it's not consistent. And I assumed it was one of my bad girls. Yes. <laughs> Or yes, it might be. Well, we'll hear about. We'll start hearing about them when we come back. All You're right. Listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, I'm your very, very uh, upset uh, psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman. When we come back, we'll hear about Ken Verena's Bad Girls. We're talking about Valentine's Day analysis. What the world needs now is love. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacy Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacy's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, uh, here today with a show on Valentine's Day analysis, what the world needs now is love. We're going to be hearing from Ken Verana about uh, the next in line of his bad girls, and at least I love doing this. This is what I love doing, and I'm sure obviously you do too, Ken, sharing these stories, trying to help people uh, to find the love that they deserve because that has gotten to be harder on a personal level as well as on a general societal level. So tell us about your bad girl, Kimberly, the uh, sex siren. Uh, I was at the time a writer and producer in Hollywood, and as as part of that, we, of course, got invited to a lot of quote-unquote Hollywood parties, and I went to a party one night and was introduced to a gal who was described to me as the then penthouse pet of the year. And physically, uh, she was certainly gorgeous. I mean, this was, as I tell the story to many people, you, you literally could not find one thing about this girl that was not physically perfect. And, of course, the whole idea of dating and being seen with a penthouse pet, uh, forget penthouse pet of the year, would certainly be intoxicating for any man, um, so we started dating, and it became fairly clear over time that this was one of these relationships where she saw it as, you know, uh, what can you do for me because she was an aspiring actress. In fact, she did have a number of small parts in uh, various TV movies uh, and actually one uh, seminal role, if I can <laughs> use that word in a different way, uh, in a Tom Hanks movie um, where she actually was nude and it was a Tom Hanks fantasy and she turned into a nun who was nude and then she turned back to herself again. So now all of those of you who want to know who this is will be able to go yeah, to right. this movie. Um, but at any rate, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, obviously I was dating her for my own reasons. So, you know, that, that were selfish. So I can't say that it was all all her but she stayed around just long enough to uh, try to figure out whether I could get her a good agent or uh, put her in a, a, a movie or this, that, or something else. Um, I, I found out later that she was dating any number of other people, although at the time she denied that. Um, 
But it was fascinating to me that she was so disconnected from any kind of personal warmth in the relationship that when we would actually have sex, and I have to say have sex as opposed to to making love uh, in this particular situation, I literally had to think of her in the magazine to get sufficiently turned on to be able to actually have an orgasm because she just laid there and uh, except for the fact that she literally said nothing, uh, uh, had she said something, I mean, you always get the feeling she was just, what she was thinking is, um, you know, it's your job to make me come. It's not my job to do anything. I'm gorgeous. I'm pet house pen of the year. I don't have to do anything. Um, that wore thin pretty quickly. Uh, the relationship probably lasted off and on for maybe six months or so. But as time passed, and Hollywood in many respects is a very small community, I began to run, run into other guys, and she would, of course, come up in conversation uh, because I was still more than happy to talk about the fact that I used to date a penthouse pet of the year and was smart enough not to mention the negative uh, parts of the relationship. And amazingly, on at least five or six different instances with five or six different guys, they would say, you went out with so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And they said, I did too. I said, really? And they said, yeah. They said, was it just me or was she as bad as in bed as I thought she was? <laughs> and then, of course, we would start comparing notes. And every single one of those guys said the same thing that I just related, that she would just kind of lay there and go, do me. Uh, and I, I tend to like relatively aggressive women sexually. So I just was buying into what I thought her public persona was and figuring that a girl that was penthouse pet of the year, on top of everything else, would have to be aggressive sexually. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was not at all the case. Well, uh, you know, um, with each of the dozen damsels in my book, um, I explain why, what each of these types want and why they want it and why they, what, what made them tick, what made them become that way. And um, the, the sex siren, most sex sirens have been sexually abused um, as little girls. And the reason they, um, that they've learned to use sex and to, to get what they want, and, um, but they are detached from it. They, you know, it's, it's because of this, of this history of being molested. And Marilyn Monroe, of course, is the proto prototype of the sex siren, and she was molested as a little girl. There's, uh, it's known on at least one occasion, and it's thought that it was more than one. She went to various homes that she lived in, in the little girl, as a little girl, and so on. So, you know, um, and you talked about how Kimberly, I call her, all these names are, um, you know, obviously her her real name isn't Kimberly. That's just the name in the book. Um, you talked about how Kimberly, Kimberly's parents were nudists, and you were never sure whether it was appropriate nudity or whether there was something inappropriate, and even even appropriate nudity. You know, that may well get twisted in a little girl's mind, or there may well have been inadvertent, if not, you know, uh, purposeful molestation. There's certainly it's there's certainly uh, certainly easier to have inadvertent things happen, touching, you know, by accident, in quotes, um, where th this could have been and likely was the root of what she, why she became a sex siren. I never, I never uh, uh, quizzed her 
as to whether there was any overt um, sexual molestation in her background, either a rape or something that went on in the family. But she did happen to mention that thing about nudity, and uh, arguably I'm probably one of the most liberal people sexually you will ever meet. Um, again, we were in Hollywood, so we were in a rarefied environment when it comes to those things sexual. Um, but that even threw me um, because she, her, her parents, who were apparently aging hippies, uh, and you know were into the whole free love thing, and of course I had lived through that myself. Um, were definitely clothing optional people around the house, uh, and as you suggest, uh, you know it's, it's kind of like like sleeping with your kids. I have a a daughter who is now 19, and I don't remember when I stopped uh, taking naps with her. I never saw them as sexual, but one day she came home and announced to me that she had learned in school that it was now to the point where it was no longer appropriate, to use her word, um, for she and I to be taking naps together. I mean, we would literally just lay down on the bed and take a nap. Um, but it reminded me of this particular young lady mm-hmm. because um you know, given the benefit of the doubt, even if whatever was going on was simply the product of an extremely liberal set of parents, um, she was a kid, and who knows how she interpreted the whole thing. Right, right. And then, uh, so continue with the story. Yeah, I a um, number of years went by. I owned, I opened uh, what ended up being one of the more successful modeling agencies in Los Angeles, and one day who showed up for an interview but this same young lady. Uh, not knowing I owned the agency, I had no idea that she was coming in. You know, I, my, my bookers would schedule pe- me people to interview, and uh, she came walking in the room, and both of our jaws kind of <laughs> dropped. Um, we hadn't ended it on a, on a bad note. It just sort of died of its own weight. Um, so there was this, hi, oh, my God, it's you, you know, nothing nothing negative. Um, but we had made arrangements to have a very prominent uh, fashion photographer in Los Angeles take photographs of her to build a uh, a serious portfolio because she had no shortage of, of pictures of herself, but they were all nude uh, and and not beautiful classic nudes, but nudes that were more Playboy penthouse-type nudes that would not have been appropriate in the fashion industry. And um, we, I had uh, advanced her a fairly substantial amount of money to get this portfolio done because she's somebody that I knew, and I felt that she was good for it. Um, Ultimately, she stiffed me for the money, and when we were finally reduced to taking her to court, uh, a lot of people may not realize this, but uh, when it comes to the very popular show People's Court, what they do is the producers go, I guess, once or twice a month and look at various cases that are in the court system in Los Angeles and pick some that they think would be particularly interesting to to show on People's Court. So these are actually real cases. And if you agree to appear on People's Court, you are paid to do that whether you win or you lose. Um, but you also agree to abide by the verdict that People's Court hands down because we felt that we had this gal dead to rights and we had a copy of the bounce check and this and that. We went into the People's Court situation um, you know, feeling very, very comfortable. Um, as it turned out, that particular month she had appeared in Playboy magazine with a group of other um, gals that modeled, did the same kind of modeling she did, in an article called The Bimbos of Hollywood. 
And she was incredibly proud of being the first girl that was featured in this Bimbos of Hollywood <laughs> bunch, which I, you know, I guess says it all. Yes. Um, but she came in just as cocky as she could be, clearly believing that she was going to win this case. Uh, during the recess, uh, where it, which is kind of a break for the audience, she was actually handing around this copy of uh, Playboy, which had just come out, and, of course, all the other people in the audience just thought this was wonderful. Uh, and, uh, again, was just sat there with a very smug look on her face. Finally, it was time for me to come up and testify. I testified that uh, she'd bounced the check. I had the check in my hand, and, and there was really not much more that could be said. And uh, the, the judge at that time was the, the first guy on the show, Judge Wapner, who is no longer on the show. And uh, uh, something of a legend in his own right, and uh, you could see that he was convinced without even hearing what she had to say that we were in the right. Then she got up in uh, a very abbreviated outfit uh, and told her side of the story and had a second check that was made out to the photographer that said that she had paid him. Um, But she'd paid him and not us. Well, very long story short, <clears throat> the judge was so confused at this point, since both checks were clearly uh, either uh, real or forged, and he couldn't determine which was which, uh, he gave her the benefit of the doubt. She won the case, and uh, much to our, our disbelief, and just sashayed out of the court for uh, you know 25 feet tall, just feeling really good about herself. Uh, and uh, uh, we found out later that ultimately what she did was she slept with the photographer. Uh, he gave her the pictures for free. He agreed to dummy up a check for her. But, of course, that was water over the dam because the case was over at that point in time. And, unfortunately, uh, I joked to everybody that day that it was people's court and nobody would ever see it. And, you know, it was too bad we lost, but it wasn't going to be that big a deal. That thing must have been on 25 times over the next five years. Yes, that's the I would get calls from people saying, how did you saw you lose this case on people's court? Like, that's terrific. Yes, that's what really makes it sing. But everyone keeps seeing you lose time and time again. Well, we need to take another break. My guest is Ken Verana. We're talking about Valentine's Day analysis, what the world needs now is love. And Ken is sharing his bad girl stories with us. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. 
Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about a sort of a post-Valentine's Day analysis of our intimate and our societal relationships, and we all, all need more love. Um, Ken is talking about sharing his bad girl stories. We were just hearing about his sex siren, and um, I guess this is when I was saying before about how when I read this story at book signings uh, from the book and people, you know, really get into it, and then, of course, then there's the... the uh, story at the point at the end where I talk about why you were attracted to bad girls. And of course, at the beginning of the book, I have a bad girls test for women to take to see whether they're uh, wannabe bad girls all the way up to man eaters. And I have a sitting duck test for men to see how vulnerable they are to bad girls. And there are things from childhood primarily things with having to do with parents, with childhood, with sex and relationships, with feelings. Um, current situations, but of course the most powerful of all of these different uh, areas of, of, uh, of the test, you know, that you, you, can, you circle the cue for quack for the sitting duck, um, uh, but of course childhood and parents are, are, have the most profound effect. Things that go on uh, with parental relationships in childhood are the most powerful. And so when, when I get to the end of this story and it re- is the reveal of what your childhood was like, of course, that's incredibly poignant. So tell us what it was, what it is. Well, we uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, in our in our uh, the first part of this yeah. report interview a couple of weeks back. Um, I was adopted at birth. Uh, my birth mother abandoned me, uh, and um, I was uh, 
spent the better part of my life trying to locate my adoptive parents I actually, or my, my birth parents, I'm sorry. I actually found both sides of my family, my mother's side, and I had brothers and sisters from, from that side of the family, and my father's side, and I had brothers and sisters from that side of the family. But for me, at least, I had a great desire to want to complete myself, and I felt that I had to find those people in order to complete myself. Um, over time, I became an expert on finding people's uh, uh, biological parents, um, but I could never find my own. I finally ultimately did, uh, and I was, as I mentioned to you last week, kind of poo-pooing your, your theory that um, that was so significant in terms of, of coloring the rest of my life, but I gave a lot of thought to that since then, and I, I feel more and more that you're absolutely right. What I tended to do with women was to always have one woman on the side, no matter how involved I was with somebody, including my first marriage, because I felt, uh, based on what had happened relative to my adoption, that no woman could ever love me enough to stay around, and that being the case, that I felt that I needed somebody as a safety net. <clears throat> and unfortunately, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, because, of course, the women that I were uh, with uh, didn't appreciate it at all, nor should they have, uh, but I was not going to be left alone, uh, and I was terrified that that was going to happen as had happened when I was adopted. When I, um, again, I, I started thinking a lot about that over the last couple of weeks, and when I ultimately found my birth mother, when I first um, got the family on the phone, she denied that I existed. She said that I must have the wrong number and all kinds of variations on that theme, and for a good bit of time, uh, refused to acknowledge this. So now, of course, here I was, in effect, being denied again. Yes. Um, I knew that it was her. Uh, we, I had all kinds of proof that it was her. So I wasn't going to let go until uh, she absolutely said she wanted nothing to do with me. And fortunately, over time, she warmed to the relationship. And for the few years that we had together before she passed away, um, we, were, we were pretty close. When I found my, uh, one of the odd things about that relationship, however, was that I had a brother uh, who was the product of she and her current husband. I had a sister uh, who was the product of she and a different husband. But she had also adopted a boy only mm. a few years after she had given me up. And while she denied it, I was and remain convinced that that was her way of making herself feel better because she, quite frankly, didn't have a legitimate reason as to why she had given me up. And the fact now that I had an adopted brother really threw me because, to, for lack of a better way to put it, that was supposed to be me. Yes, absolutely. When I finally found my father's uh, side of the family a few years later, he had passed away, but I had two brothers and sisters from that relationship one of my sisters, uh, whose name was Kathy, uh, was absolutely thrilled that I had found her, found the family, couldn't wait to see me, invited me out to visit her. She lives in the Bay Area. We had, uh, in, in almost every respect, an absolutely wonderful trip. But unfortunately, I discovered while I was there that she was in a horribly abusive relationship with her husband. And because this was my sister and she had young children, I felt like I needed to poke my nose into that. Um, 
when she took me back to the airport after the end of the 10 days that I spent there, which were wonderful in every other regard, uh, we were all kisses and hugs and couldn't wait to see each other again. And then a week or two later, she told me she never wanted any contact with me again. And she never really had a legitimate reason as to why that was. She came up with a couple of reasons that were so far-fetched that they, they clearly were some kind of a rationalization. To this day, I believe that her husband was so jealous of our relationship that he said, I don't want you to have any further contact with him. But here I was being rejected again. Yes, yes. And I had allowed myself, I mean, I felt closer to Kathy than probably any other human being in the world, with the possible exception of my daughter. Hmm. She was telling me how she was so thrilled to have another brother that she felt so close to me that we seemed to complete each other. And then, out of a clear blue sky, she said, I don't want anything else to do with you. Don't email me anymore. Yeah. And I, you know... To this day, about every six months, I write to her and say, I'm here if you need me. I am more convinced than ever that your husband is what created this. If and when you and he ever separate, uh, <clears throat> just pick up the phone. I'll be here for you. Uh, and I've, I've always been tremendously concerned for her because he is one of these people who owns a lot of guns. And while I was out there, went into a tirade one afternoon for no apparent reason and threatened to go downstairs, get the gun, shoot himself, uh, his wife, and his two kids. Mm, wow. So nothing would surprise me. Yeah. I, you know, if I get a call one day from somebody else in the family, and of course they're not talking to me either at this point, and said Kathy was killed by her husband, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's being dumped by women is getting a little thin. Yes, yes. Well, t why don't you start the story of, um, and I guess it, one of your last, your last bad girl, or one of your last bad girls. Um, oh, if only. If only. <laughs> I, I guess one of the most harrowing bad girl stories that I have is I had was sort of between girlfriends. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, this was before the Internet and Facebook and all of these dating sites. And if you wanted to meet somebody, you would write uh, in the personal columns and say, you know, 35-year-old uh, guy wanting to meet a tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, whatever, you know, love long walks on the beach, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and, and it would appear in magazines. So I put something in a magazine, and I got um, actually – three or four hundred responses, which was very flattering. But I chose one, uh, and I called her up, and she said she'd love to go out. And, and we met, and we had what appeared to be a wonderful date. But it was also fairly clear that this was a one-night stand. This was not going to be, you know, maybe we see each other a couple of times, but it wasn't going to be anything super serious. Um, and we went back to her place, and we proceeded to make love. And... Uh, that was it. We, we, you know, we had a good time, but we never attempted to see each other again. Probably six or seven months went by, and I was at that point living with uh, a girl who was extremely important to me that subsequently I would end up marrying. Um, we just celebrated our 25th Valentine's Day yesterday. Congratulations. Um, so, um, but... Um, we were laying in bed on a Sunday morning, and the phone rang, 
and it was this young lady. And she said, can you talk? And, of course, my blood ran <laughs> cold because <laughs> I couldn't figure out why she had showed up after all these these months and especially why she was calling. And uh, I said, sort of, trying to be casual about it, to, to not tip off my wife and or my girlfriend at the time. And uh, she said, I just want to let you know I was diagnosed with AIDS. And, of course, this was at the time when that was considered to be a death sentence. And I can't even begin to tell you that there is no appropriate way to react to that information. Especially in front of the woman you want to make oh, your wife. <laughs> I'm trying to be cool. She could have said anything else. She could have said, well, you're having a baby. Uh, that is survivable. And I tried, again, not to change my facial expression, but she said, I just thought you'd want to know, and she hung up. And to my now wife's credit, she looked at me, knew something was wrong, and I said, she said, who was that and, and what was it about? I hesitated for probably all of 60 seconds and finally told her. And she basically said, well, if, if you have it, I have it, and I'm not going anywhere, which was probably the pivotal point in our relationship in terms of how committed she clearly was to the relationship. Yes, and, you know, I'm going to stop you there because we have to take a break. But, you know, that when you think about that, uh, that pivotal point, because here was a woman who, even with this, you know, worst um, death sentence at the time, um, that she was willing to stay with you, unlike your mother who gave you up for adoption. Right. So it proved to you that she she was the true thing, the real deal. We do need to take a break. I'm talking with Ken Verano. We're talking about Valentine's Day. We're talking about love, and we're talking about bad girls. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talking about bad girls with Ken Verana, who has a uh, an unending supply, <laughs> or who has had, I guess I should say, um, he's talking been talking about the bad girl scorned. And why don't you uh, tell the the uh, finale of this story? Well, after I received the call that um, apparently uh, this woman I had slept with had had AIDS uh, at the time. Yeah, which then meant that there was a very good chance that I had it and a equally good chance that my uh, future wife had it. Um, I, of course, had to go in and get a test done. And in those days, a test, I think, took about 10 days before you got the results. And that was the longest 10 days of my life. Uh, and you, you stopped living. Because, uh, as I say, in those days, there was no medication that there is now to keep you going. So you just hold your breath for 10 days. When the results came back, they came back negative, which was wonderful, except that in those days they said that, you know, it could show up six months later. So Mm -hmm. every couple of months I would have another test done, and you would go through that other 10-day holding your breath period. Um, Finally, after a couple of years, you know, I I put it out of my head, and uh, everything seemed to be okay. And um, one day I get a call from the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the cops to begin with, <laughs> and so I, I couldn't imagine that this was a, a you know an invitation to their Christmas party. <laughs> um, but they called me and they said, "Do you know a, a, a woman named so and so?" And it was this woman who had called me about the AIDS, and I thought, "Oh my God, what is this?" And all I could think of was that she had passed away of AIDS, and that they had found my name and phone number somewhere in her personal things and were calling anybody that they thought might know her. And uh, I said, yeah, and they said, how do you know her? And I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> I told them the whole story. And they said, well, we want to just let you know that we arrested her yesterday afternoon, and the reason we arrested her is that she doesn't have AIDS. She never did have AIDS. Um, what she does is she goes out with guys, usually only on one or two dates, and then she will call them the way she called you and tell them that, they, that she has, uh, has given them AIDS to terrify them and that the best we can get out of her is that the reason she does this is because she was poorly treated by some guy um, a couple of years back and was just determined that she was going to punish every man she could get a hold of. Yeah. Uh, and I, 
you know, it is now a crime, actually. Uh, uh, certainly in California, I don't know if it is in other states, but it was cri- it became a, cri- a crime in California to not only tell some, not tell somebody when you do have AIDS, but to tell somebody you have AIDS when you mm. don't. Mm. Uh, I don't know that she had anything specifically to do with that law being created, but it didn't exist before this all happened. Um, and, you know, if, if you ever want a reason not to mess around on the person you're with, <laughs> this was a really, really good reason. <laughs> yes, this is uh, a lesson. For another year or so, I didn't even look at a woman. Uh, except the one that I was dating, because it, I wasn't going to go through that again. Yes, yes. Well, we're gonna. I want to make sure we have enough time to get in some of the things we want. I want to tell people about what you're up to besides okay. having dated bad girls. Let me just quickly make the point, though, that this story um, is is yet another illustration of um, the motivation of bad girls. That, of course, the bad girl scorned is the worst type of bad girl, but all of the bad girls have been hurt by dysfunctional relationships with their fathers that made them feel unlovable, and then they go out with guys who dump them or treat them badly, and then they get convinced they're unlovable, and then they wind up punishing other guys, wanting to just going after guys for what they want rather than for expecting to get love. So, so that's you know both of these are, are just great examples of, of some of the psyche, and of course I go into it in a a lot more detail in the book, and I have all these stories from these uh, the best stories of the hundred plus men, and so on. And and you can tell why Ken's <laughs> why Ken has three of them in there. Um, Ken, tell us what you're doing, what you're up to, what you want people to know about you. I, oh, let me just say, Ken has has remained a breast man. <laughs> Besides the penthouse pet sex siren, tell people what you do as far as breasts go now. <laughs> a number of years ago, I uh, filmed and produced a documentary called Snow Angels. And Snow Angels followed three women through a year of their lives, all of whom had breast cancer. And after I finished the film, I was contacted by Paul McCartney, who asked me if I would like to work for his breast cancer charity, which had been created when his first wife, Linda, passed away of breast cancer. So for the next three years, my job was to travel the country putting on large events for Paul to raise money for his foundation. Ultimately, I inherited the foundation, and now it is mine. It is called the One in Eight Foundation, the one being numeral and eight being numeral as opposed to being spelled out. If you go to oneinight.org, you can learn all about what we do. But we were recently named the fastest-growing cancer charity in the world. Wow. Now all cancer, not just breast cancer. Oh, congratulations. Um, That's fabulous. In, in line with all of that, I wrote a bill last year, which was passed by Congress, which names the month of May Early Detection Month for all cancers, because if you find your cancer early enough, and I'm a cancer survivor myself, you actually have a 93% chance of surviving your cancer. I recently started a blog, which is my first attempt to move into the blogosphere. Uh, if people would like to see what's on the blog, it is called Booby Snacks, B-O-O-B-I-E, Snacks. And finally, I have just finished my first novel, which has gotten a tremendous response from those people who have read it, and I am actively looking for a literary agent. So if you, know so one, if you are a literary agent and you would like to uh, talk to me about this, uh, I had a very successful career as a screenwriter in Hollywood, and my first nonfiction book um, is doing extremely well. I sold it five days after I wrote it, um, but this is my first novel, and I would be very, very interested in speaking to uh, 
uh, a literary agent about the possibility of representing my work. And so you just, just, just still can't get away from boobies. <laughs> boobies. No, I am absolutely sure. <laughs> and let me, please, let me again ask all of you, please, you know, whatever you think about video games or violent media, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm sure you agree that cyberbullying is bad. Please go to Amazon.com. It would be great if you bought my book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. But in any case, I would appreciate a five-star review. You don't have to claim that you read the book, but certainly between what you heard on the show, which is sort of a uh, snapshot of some of the book, and um, certainly this idea that there shouldn't be uh, Amazon bombing, anything that you could write in general that you feel that you feel ethical about writing would be great. And yes, of course, it would be great if you if you didn't have a... <laughs> I doubt anybody had as bad a Valentine's Day as I did, but if you didn't have a great Valentine's Day, if you women want to find out how to get guys not becoming bad, but how to use the trick, get the book, and you guys, you want to... Ken survived, and uh, find out about bad girls so that you can survive too. I recommend this to men. This is not a, uh, strictly speaking, a woman's book. I think that... Uh, guys may live another five years if they buy this book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Ken, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.